kick off um, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, our Jesus is King series, and we're going to be talking about Samuel's calling tonight. We're going to try to cover all of chapter 3 in 1 Samuel. This is a famous chapter when God calls him, even as a young boy, to be a prophet, and it's a shift overall for Israel. They had had prophets before, even back in Genesis, Abraham was called a prophet, but they were not primarily being spoken to as a nation through prophets until this. They had the judges right before um, 1 Samuel was written, and there was basically anarchy in the kingdom of Israel. And so this kicks off a long line of prophets leading up uh, to um, all of the major prophets that we know of and the minor ones that we read of in Scripture. So you and I, in general, we desire to be led, right? We desire, and we wouldn't say this, but we, we desire a king. We want to be told what to do. And in 1 Samuel, all of this book is leading up to Israel saying to God, we want a king like the other nations. And they want to just be ruled. They want to be told what to do and just do it. But God does what God does. And he says, before I send you a king, I'm going to send you a prophet. Because it's much more important, instead of you just finding out what you should be doing, it's much more important that there's those among you that actually listen to him. And that's what God's looking for, people who will listen to him. And so we're going to be talking about listening tonight. You and I, we talk about communication all the time. In our culture, this is huge. Marriages that crumble, man, communication is usually key. Conflict resolution, obviously communication is a key. When I sit down with uh, couples for premarital counseling, regardless of what their assessment says that they are strong in and weak in, we always normally kick it off with an exercise in active listening. Because if you don't listen to one another, you're going to have a hard hard road. And so we're going to be talking about uh, listening to God a lot tonight. Uh, I want to do this for a second, though. I want to take kind of a, I want to jump to the side and, and mention something that is in the text, but it would be easy for us just to blow through it. And, and I want to mention it before we get into the rest of this tonight. Samuel is going to have uh, several encounters where he hears God's voice, but he doesn't recognize it as God. And the first couple times, he's going to go to the priest, Eli, who was like a father figure to him, thinking that it was Eli who called him, right? And so keep in mind, Samuel was raised by his mom and dad, Hannah and Elkanah, for the first few years of their lives. Then they gave Samuel to the Lord, and he's been in the tabernacle ever since, right? So probably for nine years at this point, he's been in the tabernacle. But he recognizes, or he thinks anyway, that God's voice is the voice of his father figure, who is the priest, Eli. I want to I sidetrack for a second and mention this. When it comes to us hearing from God, we got to understand that so often we fall into the same um, mistakes that Samuel does. And we take our experience and our communion and our connectedness with our earthly father and project it onto our relationship with our heavenly father. This is key because some of us don't even know we're doing it, right? We're, we're experiencing a relationship with God that looks in some ways almost identical to what we had on earth with our father. Let me give you an example. Um, some of us, we grew up with dads who didn't talk very much, but they gave orders. And so the way we connected with them was just obeying what they said. And they might not have talked much at all, but we just knew, hey, the way I'm going to make them happy, the way I'm going to communicate, just do what they say. And we got used to that. There's a good chance that's the way you view God, is that you don't necessarily hang out with him every day. You don't see Jesus as a friend as much as you see God as ruler and, and judge, and just give me the command and I'll do it. So you like it when the preacher's up there and it's hellfire and brimstone and do this and don't do that, because you're like, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I like. Others, we had dads who who loved going fishing and loved hanging out and loved quality time. There maybe wasn't great purpose in the relationship other than the purpose being hanging out together and being together. And so there's a good chance if that was you that you look at God and think, man, I can have coffee with Jesus. Like I can just listen. I can just commune. It's just me and him. But if I asked you about making disciples or the mission of God, you'd say, oh, I guess I don't, I don't talk to him a ton about that. You, you lack a little purpose. And then there's those in the room who, who maybe didn't grow up with a dad at all. Um, or you grew up with a dad, he was in the household, but he wasn't really present emotionally. And so you just long to hear a father's voice, but you don't know what a father's voice sounds like. So we take these narrow-minded experiences here on earth and we project them onto God. And I want to tell you, 
right off the bat that God desires you to be in his presence, um, but he also wants you to hear his voice, and then he also wants you to obey what he says. God has a holistic way of communicating with us. He wants to walk through all of that with us, and so we got to make sure that we're not looking at our Heavenly Father and saying, man, I'm just doing what I know on earth because God is so much bigger than the Father we had on earth. And so when it comes to listening to God, um, your ear has already been tuned, whether you know it or not, by your earthly father or authority figure. And, and I, wanna, I just want to mention that because it's so key. So tonight, um, the context is this, that the, the word of God was rare. It says that in the first couple of verses. And, and when the word of God is rare, God's people, the church, they stop expecting to hear from God. And when they stop expecting to hear from God, they stop positioning themselves to hear. And when they stop positioning themselves to hear, they miss out on the majority of the relationship with God. And so I want you to ask yourself as we walk through this tonight, do I expect, do I expect God to actually speak to me? Am I positioning myself to hear from him? Am I actually obeying what he's telling me? Is there purpose to this relationship, or is it just me and him? And everything else fades away. So we're going to try to tackle a good chunk of stuff. Samuel teaches us a lot in this passage. So let's jump on in. If you've got a Bible, we're going to kick off with the first eight verses here. Cham- chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Again, most scholars believe he was roughly 12 years old at this point. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So right off the bat we see vision is the way that they're expecting to be communicating with God. There was none. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Remember, the ark of the covenant is where the presence of God dwelled. Verses 4 through 6. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. You would think they'd pick up on this pretty quick. Verse 7 and 8 say, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now when we say did not yet know the Lord, remember chapter 2 it said Eli's sons were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Big difference between not knowing him as like we just reject him and rebel against him compared to I don't hear from him in an intimate way. So that's the kind of knowing we're talking about here. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. All right. First thing that we're going to park on here is that we need to live expecting to hear from God. Expecting to hear from God. It said there in the first couple verses that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And so Eli and Samuel, you got this boy who's serving God. He's in the tabernacle all day long. Like you would think, man, (laughs) I'm expecting, like I'm going to encounter God in here sometime. But year after year after year passes and he has a very little bit of encounters with God in this way. Like he wasn't expecting it at all. Eli, on the other hand, has been a priest for a long time, so much so he's so old and, and he is not even expecting at all to hear from God. Two times. And I mean, think about it. Like you're in the presence of God and yet you don't expect to hear from God at all. I would say it's nothing like that in the Christian church. God lives in all believers. But I know but that's not the case. You see, I think in general, 
Uh, for most believers, and I've got to think most in this room, you're going to fall into one of two extremes. And there's a healthy balance in the middle when it comes to hearing God's voice. One extreme is this, that maybe you've grown up in the church, you enjoy going to worship services, you love the, the stained glass, you love the atmosphere, you can enjoy um, liturgical services where, where there's very uh, specific rituals and you just enjoy the process and you sense a peace from God. You like it, you enjoy it. You, if you didn't hear from God, you would still be going to worship services every week, right? And maybe this has been the way it's been your whole life. And when you talk to God, you see him um, a little bit like a therapist, and you're laying on the couch. And it's very one-way street where you'll tell him and talk to him and pray to him all the time, but you don't leave time in your prayer to listen. There's never a time where you say, God, what is your response to me? So if someone asks you, like, how's how's your relationship with God? Do you have an intimate relationship with God? You say, yeah talk to him all the time. You see, your counselor knows all about you, but you don't have a clue about him. And so that's one extreme. And I got to believe, if if you told me your denominational history, there's probably a good chance we could peg if you're in that boat or not. I hate to say it, but that's usually the case. And then there's the other extreme, and that's the extreme that, that people, when they read, man, Jesus, he's talking about how man does not live on on bread alone, but the very word of God. Like they can't wake up in the morning without a fresh revelation from God. You see him in the you see him in the grocery store, and they're saying, "God told me to park here. Told me to come here at this time. I got a word from the Lord." And like they just they always got a word from God. There's never a time where they don't got a fresh word from God, and it's overwhelming. God cares about every tiny detail, and He's got to tell you everything, or you can't go on. The truth is, there's probably, um, there's probably a middle ground in there where God speaks to us, and there's a balance. So let's ask ourselves this question, because it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what the Word of God says. Can we honestly, today, as Christians, can we expect God to speak in, in new ways? I mean, like, can we hear His voice? Obviously, we're not talking audible voice here, but can we expect to hear from God? Well, let's walk through the Trinity. Number one, Jesus, John chapter 10. What does he say about being a great shepherd, right? He says, the flock will know my, my voice. So if we know his voice, we're hearing from him. Okay, let's take it to um, the, the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? It's going to be a bunch of things to us. It's going to be a guide. It's going to be a comforter. It's going to be a counselor. I don't know about you, but if someone's going to counsel me, I'm expecting to hear from them. Let's take it to the Father. Here, the very crux of the gospel is this, that you and I, sinners, separated from God the Father because of our sin, but covered by the blood of Jesus, now have what? Access to God. Why? For a relationship where we actually can talk to him. We can go before the throne and have access to talk to to God. And so I don't think God sent his son so that it could just be a one-way street. And he's sitting behind a confessional somewhere saying, tell me your sins, but I'm never going to tell you anything. And then you look at the New Testament, and that's very important. You say, well, what did the early church do? You see everything from in Acts, Peter having a vision, having a revelation on a rooftop. Like, this is big at Cornelius' house in Acts. And you see Paul and his missionary journey. So I go up here. Nope, the Spirit of the Lord stopped me. I went here. He's utterly dependent on God's voice to tell him where he needs to go on his missionary journey. There's an entire book from John called Revelation because he got a what? A revelation. So you see, all through the early church, they were dependent on God speaking to them. This is the joy of the gospel, that God's going to speak back. That he's not silent anymore. Jesus wasn't resurrected mute, and so his church could not be born again deaf. So how does God speak? hard to put God in a box, so I hate even asking that kind of question, because you see in the Old Testament things like a burning bush, and you see a still, small, quiet voice coming on the mountain. You see all these different ways that God speaks, but we see all throughout Scripture, we see revelation through um, visions and, and dreams. Of course, we know the Word of God is God's Word. Like, you want a fresh word from God, you just open up that Bible. That is 
a word from God. That is God speaking to you. It may feel like you're just reading something, but that is God speaking to you today. Obviously, in prayer, sometimes God speaks just through our conscience. If God indwells us with his Holy Spirit, he has control of our conscience. He can talk to us. There's all kinds of different ways. Knowledge, obviously, from the word of God. We see God speaking to us in a bunch of different ways. But what happens, and this is the scary part, what happens is you and I, we get comfortable and we get used to him speaking in one way, and so we narrow our experience with him by only expecting it in one way. For instance, good group of Christians who only want uh, what I would call God to speak in sign language. And you say, well, what are you talking about? They only want God, like their whole view, and I've seen this before. I could tell stories, I, and I've even fell into the trap myself. Well, I'm trying to make a big decision in life, and I've asked God to reveal himself, and so I'm just looking for open doors. And how else, how else is God speaking to you? Well, it's mostly just, you know, this job opportunity popped up, and we're, is that, that's an open door. And so, like, is that it? Like, you're just asking God for signs? Like, like an open door? Do you know the devil opens doors? Like, he can be courteous. He can open that thing right up. If, if, if we have the open door philosophy that that's the only way God's going to speak, not that he doesn't speak. We see Paul in his missionary journeys. We see open doors. We see that as one of the many ways. But you are limiting yourself. You're limiting yourself. you got to catch yourself that you're not just, hey, I'm only comfortable with this. Like, I, I, I speak to God, and God, a lot of times I'll hear him just in my conscience as I'm praying. i got to ask myself, am I okay? What if God gave me a dream? What if he gave me a vision? There's people with testimonies as to God speaking to them in that way, powerful ways where they get a hold of, uh, he gets a hold of your life that way. Like, man, am I even open to that? Am I even open to that? So you can not only expect God to speak, but you've got to open yourself up to outside of your previous experience. Maybe God's bigger than you. That's not a Maybe. And so maybe God's going to speak to you in more than the ways you're only comfortable with. And that's not a maybe either. He's probably going to do that. He's probably going to do that. Let me ask you, well, let me say this. Here's the danger of being narrow-minded in the way that God speaks to us. In the 1600s in Europe, there became a, a philosophy that turned into a religion that's all over the world now. It's just called deism, okay? So if you're familiar with deism, you know, in the 1600s, there was a group of people who became basically disenfranchised with the local church, the supernatural. They didn't want God to reveal himself to them. They were just, they didn't like miracles. They didn't want to hear about anything supernatural. But at the same time, there was a revolution happening in Europe when it came to science. And, And so they were making all kinds of discoveries, and they started to see, in their mind, God through creation. And they became okay with God revealing himself to mankind through science and creation. So what they did was they chose they chose science over revelation. They said, okay, we see it here. This is how God speaks. And so this movement known as deism is founded on there being a supreme God that we can worship, but he's not going to communicate with mankind. He's not going to be in the daily affairs of mankind. People believe this. They say, don't, don't talk to God. They don't want to talk back. And you say, what? How did you get there? There's even Christian deists out there. They just, they basically do not believe in the personal relationship aspect of God. You say, how did you get all the way over there? And you trace it back to the beginning, and what they got comfortable with was seeing God in creation, and God in science, and said, this is the only way we want to hear from him, so it's the only way he's going to speak to us. That's what happens when you get in your own little bubble and say, I'm only used to God speaking this way. Well, you're taking most of the revelation he wants in your life, taking it off the table. Because God's not barging in. Not that he can't. He might on occasion, but on a regular basis. If you don't want that door open, he's not forcing himself in. So, let me ask this. Then, we're, we're covering a bunch here. What can we expect God to say? Okay, so we're, we're going to live expectant. What can we expect God to say to us? Well, I think there's three categories that you can expect God to, to speak to you. Again, I hate even speaking like this, categories and to put God in a box. But we see through Scripture, number one, he's going to speak to you about your personal 
life. This this is the relationship part. So he will guide you in, do you take this job? Do you not take this job? Do you move? Do you stay here? Like, he does want to just have coffee with you sometimes. He does just want to talk with you. This is the place most of us hang out, but this is spiritual intimacy. This is where most of us want to hear from God in, but this is spiritual intimacy. The second one is the church. God doesn't speak to you without wanting to speak through you in many cases. This is why we have the gifts of prophecy. Prophecy isn't to edify yourself, it's to edify what? The church. When God speaks to you, you've got to ask yourself, you've got to think, you get your inner ear, you've got to say, maybe he's speaking to my brother, maybe my sister. Like, it's not just you in this little bubble. So when God speaks, you've got to be expecting that God's going to tell me stuff about how I can build up the local church. There's nothing more beautiful than, than having someone in prayer for someone get a word from God about that person and be able to talk to them. They don't even have a clue. No, they didn't tell no one about something. And they say, listen, I was praying for you, and, and God brought this to mind. I don't even, I don't know if he's real. I'm just saying. And then they break down crying. It's like, how did you know that? Well, if you're not in prayer expecting God to speak through you about brothers and sisters, you might miss that. The third one is God's mission. God wants to accomplish something here. He's going to speak to you about making disciples. He's going to speak to you about the kingdom expanding. This is why we have gifts like speaking in tongues. A gift that we somehow took as something incredibly beautiful and and said, man, this is God reaching the nations, speaking in languages that certain people can hear, and some of us just, we don't understand, to it's just completely private, and it's just our own little thing, and we're keeping it. It's like, how is that edifying the church? God gives no gifts to the church that don't edify the church. Let me close this out by saying this one last thing. Some of us, we want a new, fresh word from God, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, okay? But it can so easily lead you to heresy in that this. God's never going to speak to you and contradict the Bible. The Bible is how we learn about who God is and how he speaks and what he does. And you've got to be really careful when you've got people around you who are always getting new words from God. Now, God speaks, obviously, in ways that are going to lead the local church, okay? But you've got to be careful for folks who start adding on to things. This isn't the Old Testament to where God progressively revealed himself to the point of Jesus coming here, right? They were looking for fresh new things pieces put together about this Messiah that was coming. We know what, what, Jesus is coming back. When's he coming back? We don't know. Be very, very careful if God is somehow adding to the knowledge that we currently have in a way that we don't see the need for. So I'm talking about Mormonism. I'm talking about other revelations. I'm talking about people standing up in the middle of a church service saying, I got a word from God. Doesn't matter if there's any spiritual leadership in this room. Like, it just came to me, boom, and I'm going to speak it over everybody, and it might be crazy talk. It's an easy way for us to manipulate God and to go off track into heresy. You've got to be careful. You've just got to test everything against the word of God. Okay? So be careful. All right, let's move along a little quicker now. Verses 9 to 11. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Good stuff. Next thing we see is you got to position yourself to hear. Position yourself to hear. So Samuel and Eli start to figure something out. Eli's like, hey, maybe God is actually going to speak. This is crazy, but maybe he's going to do it. And Samuel, now having heard that, like, oh, I I haven't heard him before, but I guess I got something to, to respond to. He doesn't just freak out. He doesn't just run away. No, he focuses on where do I need to go back to so I hear that same voice. 
And so he's positioning himself to go back, and he's, he's getting ready. He's prepared for it. He saw that God wanted to speak to him in that way, so he stayed there. When the expectation is there that God's going to speak, you can't ignore it, but what it does is make you press into him. I want to be clear, though, when I say position yourself, I'm not saying that, that we uh, can manipulate God. I'm talking about Elijah on the mountain when I say position. He says, go up on top of the mountain, that's where I'm going to speak, so you go up on top of the mountain. And if it's an earthquake, if it's winds that tear apart rocks, if it's fire, you wait till the still small voice. Like you just get where he says get. When I say position ourselves, I'm not saying this is about manipulating God to come to us. This is about mankind putting ourselves uh, in God's will, moving towards him. See, God's, uh, uh, he, Jesus is a savior that rescues, but he doesn't just chase us all over the place. You, you, come, you come to him. You come to him. This is why he says, follow me not cram me into your lifestyle. Because it's about us reorienting our lives to him, not vice versa. Biblically, we see this in a couple ways. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, you see this Gentile woman who has a demon-possessed daughter chasing after Jesus and his disciples, saying, please help me, help me, help me. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was only ministering to the Jewish people. Remember, he said he came first to the Jews, because that's who's expecting the Messiah, that's the chosen people of God. Then he goes out to the Gentiles. He opens it up for all people. But at this point, she's a Gentile trying to get some healing for her daughter from the Messiah to the Jews. And so she comes running after, and the disciples are like, ah, what do we do? She's really freaking us out. And she comes, and she bows at the knees of Jesus. Like, she, she came to Jesus, she fell, and then she says, heal me. Don't the dogs get the scraps from the master's table? Meaning Gentiles are going to get healed from the Messiah of the Jews? And he said, ah, your faith has healed you. Go, woman, your daughter is healed. And instantly she is healed. You see it in Luke chapter 11. We see Jesus giving a parable of us asking from God and God giving to us. And he says, a neighbor who comes at midnight knocks on another neighbor's door. says, I need some bread. Help me out. First, they're going to be annoyed. But they keep coming back. A neighbor is bound to just because of their persistence, say, I'm going to give this to you. So Jesus telling us to persist in prayer shows us that you keep positioning yourself over here. God's, going, God's responding. He sees your persistence and your desire to be with him and to hear from him. So theologically, let's make sure we're clear here. Okay, this isn't, this isn't the Old Testament to where we come to the temple, but all believers, again, have the indwelling Holy Spirit. God's presence is in us. So there's no one place that's holier than another. You can come here on Sunday. We could have the music going. It could be a great song. Everything's wonderful. Like It's no more holy in that situation than it would be you on a Friday night struggling with temptation but choosing Christ. Like His Spirit lives in you. So to position ourselves means God gave us some stuff. He gave us the spiritual disciplines. Not only reading his word, not only prayer, but solitude and silence and confession. Getting away with him. And the disciplines are not a tool to manipulate God to speak to us. Uh, it's about, the, the disciplines are about us quieting our souls to come to him. And the power isn't in the act of the discipline itself. The power is, is that God sees a heart of surrender and trust and submission and dependence. You can pray all day long, but if he sees your heart is nasty, he's not just going to do whatever you want. Like his will is that you're submissive. And those are what the disciplines offer us a chance to. So they're the avenue. They're a, a way that God has given us to come. But it's not like they're a magic tool in and of themselves. verse 10 it says that the Lord came and stood. This is what we call a theophany. In the Old Testament you see it several times. 
Genesis, even in Numbers. You see here, you see it all over the place where God reveals himself and his presence in a tangible way that they recognize this may be, may be Jesus. Okay, there's a big difference between them saying an angel of the Lord appeared and the Lord appeared. So what do you do, though, when he's standing? Because, see, where the Lord's presence is, that's where the Lord's voice is. So what happens when <laughs> the Lord's presence is in us? I can tell you this personally. 99% of the time I pray, the first couple minutes I pray, I find myself not hearing a thing from God. I hear myself hearing all kinds of stuff. But it's usually the noise of the world. At first, the voice of the enemy usually is louder <laughs> than any other voice. Sometimes, well, I've found myself in the past when I pray, and I'm at the beginning, I'll just, I'll just sit down and I'll just, whew, let, me, let me just pray. Sometimes the weirdest thoughts, the weirdest things happen in that time. Where you're just like, wow, I thought this was supposed to be a holy moment. And there's temptation and there's all kinds of things. And you're just like, wow, I feel wretched. I feel guilty. And what happens is you've got to press through that. Because, again, the world and the voice of the enemy, they're going to come through the loudest and the strongest at the beginning. But God is there. God's presence is in you. It's not like we're trying to access something that isn't there. This is what the disciplines do. The disciplines are not about us pulling God from somewhere that he isn't because we have access again through Christ. He's not hiding himself from us. He is in us. God hasn't moved. The disciplines are about us getting the noise of the world and throwing it to the side. It's about quieting our souls. You see, I got to believe for most of us in this room, if you say, man, I don't hear from God much, I don't think it's because God isn't speaking or getting your attention. I think it's because you're allowing the world to be a little bit too loud and distracting. The world does what the world does. It's loud and it's distracting. And it will always pull you back. Right now, I can't say nothing in my son's eye. He's a mama's boy. I try to pull him aside and like discipline him and, and correct him and teach him and walk, you know, pray with him. And he always bails out because he's a mama's boy. He just, he loves his mama. He always, he just, eh, he doesn't want it. He pushes away from me. And he's like, mommy, mommy, I want my mommy. And he's just like, oh, you're so frustrated. And yet so many times in prayer, that's you and I, where we're just like, okay, I came here for God. I want God. This is what it's all about. But then the world comes a calling. Or you, oh, I gotta do this. I gotta, I gotta, I, oh, I gotta write this down. Like your best thoughts always come during prayer, and they have nothing to do with God, right? Like I, I gotta go take care of this, and the world comes calling. You see how I use Sarah as the example for the world, and never mind. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, her and Shauna take turns coming here. If, if Sarah was here tonight, I would have left that one out. But I know she doesn't listen on this. But anyway, back to what I'm saying. Let me say this. There's some in the room who are just like, you know what, Ryan, that's great, that's wonderful, but you don't know how crazy busy I am. Let me, let me ask you this. Who made your schedule? Like, let's just, all things equal, let's just strip away everything and say, okay, God created you. You're a human being. You are here on planet Earth living in America. You're an adult. You get to choose and make some decisions. Who made your schedule? Well, you don't understand. I'm lacking money. And who, who made your schedule? Listen, what joy do you have apart from Christ? What food do you have apart from hearing his word? What pleasure do you have apart from abiding in him? And if you can answer that in any way other than nothing... Let me ask you, how's that working out for you? This isn't cramming him into our craziness. We can't use our culture as an excuse. You're going to go to your grave doing that. We, it's busy. We get it. We get it. 
But this is why this is so important, because I look and I think someone like, okay, stay-at-home moms of little kids. Like, there, I don't know if there's anything more relentless than two-year-olds, three-year-olds. And so I feel bad for, for like my wife who's home with him. And I think there's days where how can she connect with God? Listen, connecting with God, hearing from God, isn't just about your 20-minute daily devotional time, right? It's not like God's incapable of speaking in the chaos, but it's to some degree an art form of getting away from the sounds of the world and being able to focus on Christ. And so you've got to make sure, hey, listen, before I get into the chaos, I know what the voice of the Lord sounds like. And so you can hear the voice of the Lord in the chaos. If you don't know what it's like to hear the voice of the Lord in the quiet, still moments, it's going to be really hard to hear him in the chaos. This is why we've got to make sure we're disciplined. We expect to hear from God, and we position ourselves to hear from God. Verse 12, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now remember chapter 2, Eli got this message first, and it wasn't fun for him. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity, iniquity just meaning sin, that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Remember we talked last week about leaving a legacy and, and parenting and all that. And we got this picture where it's like, man, it doesn't seem like Eli is that great of a dad. But there wasn't like super great proof there in the text. Jesus makes it clear. <laughs> he, just, he just didn't, there was a disconnect. Therefore, I, and, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering Forever. Remember, animal sacrifice is what they're used to at this point. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now, isn't it just like old Eli to wait until morning for all this? Like He's always one step behind in correcting his sons, one step behind in figuring out this is God speaking to Samuel, but here he is. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Oh, this isn't pleasant. Sometimes when God is talking to you, the message he gives you is going to offend others. Picture the torment for Samuel. I just want to honor, I just want to obey Eli. He's taken me, like he's, he's my priest, he's my mentor, he's my friend, he's everything. He's, he's my father figure. And God gave me a message that is the worst possible message for Eli. Like I can't sugarcoat this. I can't be like, a couple things, Eli. Get your life together, um, Thank you for helping me, but I, uh, it doesn't sound, let me just say, it doesn't sound like what I heard is good for you. Like, no, there's, you can't sugarcoat this. You're going to die, Eli, and everyone associated with you is going to die. And you're going to have no legacy, and it's going to be horrible. Thanks for being my father figure. Like, what do you, how do you do? What do you do at that point? Listen, God's going to ask you, if you get used to listening to God, God's going to ask you to do hard things because his will always collides with our selfish desire and the will of the world. And that means that what he asks us a lot of times is going to be hard. It's going to offend people. It's not going to be fun all the time. Many of you know my in-laws. I love my in-laws, great people awkward sharing the story knowing most of them are going to be listening but it's okay um i think this will this will build up the church my father-in-law <laughs> my father-in-law um he has spent a good portion of his uh time as a christian helping people to hear the will of god w walks them through this book experiencing god if you've never been through that study it's a great study and, and almost everyone who goes through it is, is greatly benefited and so he walks people through this, and he's all about people listening to God and following the will of God. Like he is, he's just a champion for that. It's encouraging to be around him. 
Most people know him for that. Well, I married his daughter. And so when we went to Virginia, I think to some degree, that being the furthest that any of his daughters had moved away for that period of time, I think to some degree, and, and he and his wife's uh, mind, they, they thought, okay, they're going to go to school there, and they'll probably be back in a couple years. And th- at least there was a hope that we would come back to Kansas. I think, I, I think you got to hope that, right, if you're parents and you love your kiddos. Um, that's the case. Well, there, were, there was a time there where God specifically, as you guys know, um, made it clear to Tara and I that we weren't coming back to Kansas. We were going to go out to Utah. We are going to plant a church in a place that's foreign to us, never been there, don't know what it's like, but we just sense God says go. And we were just ignorant and naive enough to, to do what he says without questioning it at that point. And most of the people we told about it were cool with it. They're like, that's awesome, dude, do it, do it, do it. Like everybody was pretty supportive, right? Of course, if you don't have to be the one doing it, you're supportive. You're like, hey, great. You're not that great of a friend. It won't be that big of a deal if you move to Utah. No, I don't know what they were thinking. But they were okay with it. And we would talk on FaceTime or Skype or whatever, like every other night. And um, and our relationship up until that point was, re- was really strong. And we were expecting they weren't going to be super pumped for the move, but they were going to be really supportive. And to put it bluntly, they struggled. They struggled with it. It makes sense. But they struggled with every aspect of it. And they're, well, it's Mormonism. You don't have a clue what that's like. And they're trying to tell us about, you know, the details of what Mormons are like, and what they believe. Somehow, like, that was going to make us really struggle in our faith. And, and it makes sense. And gas prices were crazy high at that time. So they were saying, like, how are we even going to get out there? Gas prices are, are horrible. What are we going to do? Like, it was, it was excuse after excuse. And, it, and afterwards, Tara and I, we just got to go. And, okay, like, are we sure about this? God said, yeah go but there was a couple weeks where our relationship it had never been rockier i'll say that now it strengthened through that it was good that we went through that and it's been it's been a blessing uh since then but i'll tell you what for about two weeks it was a mess like i don't know which way this is gonna go this is so much of a mess it could go left it could go right kind of a mess beautiful thing when you've got believers as in-laws you know the holy spirit's working in everybody and that is a trust that is unique and wonderful even when you have issues with those you love but god's going to call you to things that are going to tick off even the closest christians to you and not only that sometimes he'll ask you to do hard things and god has a wonderful way of being vague in the details you and I, we want details. Like we want, okay, I'll listen to God, but I'm asking him for not just where I'm going, but like how to get there specifically. And God has a history of saying things like in Genesis 22 to Abraham, hey, I want to take your son, the one you waited like 100 years to have, and I want you to go up here on this mountain. You'll basically know it when you get there. <laughs> Seriously, like I'm a, you tell me to go back to Sarah and say, hey, I'm going to take our boy, I'm going to do a little slice and dice to him, and... And I don't know where, it's not exactly a wonderful, it's not like well-rounded in terms of game plan, but just trust me, I'm not a bad dad, I promise. Like, I mean, you want details, tell me details. And when it gets hard, like, you're okay with details when he just tells you pleasant stuff. When he tells you hard stuff, you really depend on the details. But God will always give you, when he speaks to you, listen church, he always gives you enough details to make you walk by faith. And he always withholds enough details to make you walk by faith. He always does. And it's because God doesn't just want you to listen once and then get to the destination. He knows that the hardship is the gym. That's the exercise spiritually. He doesn't want you to listen once. He wants you in the journey to be trained to listen. So I'm going to give you a little bit, and it's going to require you to listen more. And that little bit's going to be a little more requirement to listen more. And you're going to have to listen, 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 listen. Because God's will always at the core draws people into the relationship. I get frustrated with Siri. Because I ask her, I tell her where to go. And when I'm in the car alone, sometimes I want someone to talk to. And she doesn't talk during the journey. Not much at all. Ten miles away, she'll make a pee. 
Outside of that, she don't say nothing. And when I'm in a big city that I'm not familiar with, and I'm thinking, seriously, there's 16, Siri, you don't get it. There's 16,000 lanes of traffic. I got to make a decision like five miles in advance. She never talks when I'm insecure. But she always tells me, right before I need to turn left or right, what to do. Sometimes it's cutting it close. Sometimes I got to look and see if I turn the volume off. Sometimes God is silent in the journey a little bit, and he doesn't always, he doesn't always address you in your insecurities. But it doesn't mean he's not wanting to talk to you. It means he's wanting you to trust in him and what you already know in him. And he always tells you if you need to go left or he always tells you at the exact time he needs to tell you. You may get frustrated. But he wants you to be in tune with him. And that means in the journey. Last but not least. Verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. So all the prophecy given to Samuel was fulfilled, right? That's how you know a prophet is a true prophet of God. It comes true. It's one of the many ways. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew, this is about 150 mile radius, all the kingdoms there, um, all of the nations, excuse me, all of the tribes within the nation of Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Last but not least, community affirms calling. So as hard as this message is for Eli, Eli says, yeah, it's God. I know it. Like Samuel's got to be thinking, man, there ain't no way Eli's going to even believe me when I tell him what God told me probably freaking out, probably insecure. Like, I can't go to my grow group and tell them what God told me. I can't go to Pastor Ryan and tell him what God told me. I'm, he's going to think I'm weird. It's going to be crazy. This isn't good for anyone. It's God. But he tells Eli, and Eli, as an elder and someone who God had revealed in chapter 2, the same message, says, yeah, I know. I know what was said to you is God. It doesn't make it easier, but it's God. And not only that, but everyone in Israel recognizes God speaking to this young man, and he keeps speaking. The whole community recognizes, boom, hey, listen, we haven't heard a lot from God, but we know what we know, what we know, what we know, and he's speaking to that young man right there. He's speaking to Samuel. Community affirms God's calling oftentimes. And the church needs we need, this is why, oh my, I can't say this enough. We got so many people coming in here um, who, who are not 25 anymore. <laughs> people who are older, okay? There are elders. And we're constantly looking for ways to honor them and help them get plugged in. Because we need Eli's, not people who are going to get condemned forever. Don't get me wrong on that one. We need Eli's in that they recognize the voice of the Lord and they're willing to help the younger generation hear it. We need people, the younger generation at Crosspoint is begging for some folks to invite them over to dinner and say, hey, listen, we can help you to discern this. Mama, you don't know how to raise those kiddos? You're freaking out about it all the time. You're insecure and you get together with other young moms and you just get insecure together. Listen, I'm not perfect, but we walked through this before. Let me tell you what God said to me and what he might be saying to you. We need some men to step up and say, listen, I didn't view myself as a leader in the last 30 years, but God has given me wisdom and he's given me his spirit and I want to just take you. I don't like anything you like. You listen to weird music. You do weird things. You're kind of weird just personality-wise. You stink just a, a lot. I was going to say a, a lot. But I just want, I want to take you. I want to help you to hear what God's saying. Like, does anyone want to be an Eli to the younger generation? Because that's what God is. God didn't speak to you all these years just to, for you to keep up all that stuff for yourself. Sometimes the greatest way he blesses the community around you is not that everything said to you is going to be direct revelation to them. It's years of that being built up in the art of you recognizing the sound of the still small voice. 
that you can pass that. What a legacy. What a legacy. I don't, we don't need your money. We kind of do. We've got a building project coming up. But we, we need the legacy of people teaching people how to follow and hear God's voice. And not only that, but community affirms calling in this. If God speaking to you wants to speak to the other people in the church, by very nature, sometimes God forces community because what he tells you makes you get around other people. Right? you got to be around them. So God actually, through his voice, creates community. And so for some of you, you're like, I don't have a hard time discerning God's voice. I feel pretty confident, so I guess I don't need an Eli to tell me things are good. So do I still need to be in community around it? Yes. Because half of what God wants to tell you is to build up those around you. And it might be that he tells you just to serve them. That builds them up. It's not that you might have a specific word for them. You may, but it's not always like that. All of Israel is excited because God is speaking to Samuel, and they know this is unifying us. God's voice always unifies his church. He's going to bring us together. I'll tell you what, you ask me, not that you are, but I'll pretend you are. I got 60 seconds, so I'll fill it with good stuff. You ask me, what's a perfect, what's a perfect gathering of a church? What kind of music? What kind of, I don't care about none of it. Perfect gathering is when God's people get together and they share some God stories about what's happening that week, about how he showed up, about how he made them get uncomfortable, about how he said, hey, I'm going to expand my kingdom. I'm going to use you. This is crazy. I know you don't like it. It's going to be really, really uncomfortable. You've never done it before, but you're going to walk by faith. You're going to glorify me. People are going to get saved. Lives are going to be changed. I'm not going to do it through you. I'm just doing it, and I'm asking you to be a part of it. And I want to hear some, I freaked out. God showed up. Look what God has done. Let's give him glory. Praise him. Somebody praise him. Like, I want to hear that when the church gathers. I don't, I'm so sick and tired of us gathering and complaining about how we just don't have this and we don't have that. When my Bible says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, what are you complaining about? What are you so insecure about? Why are our gatherings filled with complaints and crybabies when God of the universe says, I choose you, I love you, I'm going to speak to you, I'm not done with you, I'm going to work here. Shouldn't our gatherings reflect that a little bit more than the complaints of the world? You can leave here tonight and say, I want some fresh revelation, and that might be wonderful. I'll tell you what, what you need to pray for is revelation of the message 2,000 years ago because there's no better voice that's ever been spoken but God speaking out of this heaven and earth saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Do what he says. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what we need revelation of. I pray that daily for myself, God, just reveal what you've already done. We're so concerned about the future and what's going to happen and where do we go. And all that's fine and wonderful. You pray for it. But I'm telling you what, there's no better revelation than the one that happened 2,000 years ago. We need revelation of the revelation. Let's pray.